0: Hello and welcome everybody to the Surgical Society podcast with myself Frank Davis as your host. Please follow us on Instagram which is cu underscore surgesoc and make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. Today's guest is Dr. Vintoria Kincaid who is a huge ambassador for women's health in medicine. She has founded and is the host of the popular podcast Farago Voices. She's currently an army doctor and also the founder of the FGM Educational Project so please enjoy today's episode. Hello, Dr. Kincaid. It's, it's lovely to have you on the on the podcast today. Thank you very much for coming on.
1: No problem at all. Um, it's a pleasure to be
0: on. Great. Uh, so we've got a lot to talk about today. You've done some uh, amazing things. Some some really things that we're sort of interested in in getting into. But I do like to start uh, some of these podcasts with a bit of quick fire questions. So I'd like to ask you: So are you binging anything on television at the moment?
1: Oh, um, Emily in Paris.
0: Oh wow! Okay, is it <laughs> what season are we on on, on that now?
1: Uh, season three. Season I'm trying four. not to binge watch season three because <laughs> i binge watched season two, so I'm like being very strict with myself and turning it off after two episodes.
0: Fair enough. And do you ever watch sort of any like medical drama, or do you just find it sort of too unrealistic? <laughs>
1: um, I actually, I love Grey's Anatomy, mm. and uh, a lot of people hate me for that but um i'm die-hard grizz anatomy fan i I love the medical inaccuracies
0: (laughs) yeah um and what about so you wake up um do you have like a go-to breakfast at all or what gets you sort of through the day oh coffee
1: (laughs) um if during a work week um i'll have like a cereal um i'm actually quite bad i'll have like a heel um like a liquid breakfast. Um, but on the weekends, I, I'm a sucker for like a croissant and a coffee. Nice. And I'll like turn my breakfast out for quite a long time.
0: How have you how Have you got on with Huel? I've heard mixed reviews about Huel.
1: Yeah, so do you know, this is sounding really bad, but Stephen Bartlett got me on Huel from, I listened to Dario of a CEO yeah. and he always talks about it. Um, so I, in the morning, I get up early, but I end up like doing, I get on my laptop basically straight away because I'm more productive in the morning and um, so then I tend to kind of forget about breakfast until I'm about to leave um so heal is really good because you can take it with you um and it tastes all right it's a bit oaty in taste okay. um and it's got this kind of like artificial flavor but it does the job
0: Fair, so a little plug for for Hugh then on this podcast as well, maybe. I'm sure I'm not getting paid as as much as he is, but um. And then, what about after like a stressful day? Do you do? Ha- do you have anything um sort of that like de-stresses you or or in your downtime?
1: Yeah, I love reading. It's gonna make me sound like a total nerd. But um I'll I can sit and like finish a book in an evening. I just need to actually physically take the book off myself and put it down. Um I love I read anything. Um at the minute I'm reading Half the Sky, um, which is a book about well, I just started it but it's about um women um making up half the sky it's a chinese proverb okay. um and yeah it's just a ba- basically about the inequalities that women face which is right up my street as we'll all find out soon
0: <laughs> yeah well that's uh, that's the perfect intro really so you know how i sort of heard of you and 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 first sort of like was introduced to you is through your sort of work with women's health so tell us a little bit about about that and why you're why you're passionate about it
1: Yeah, so this is a good question. And um, on the topic of why I'm passionate about women's health, I've been reflecting on this a lot recently. Um, And I've come to the conclusion that I think it's because my core value is justice. Um, I hate seeing injustice. so It really like winds me up. Um, And I actually first became, well, what I would define as a feminist um, back in 2012. And it was when I was on a trip to India. And I know you have gone to India on your elective. Yes, I'm yeah. super excited for you. <laughs> um, it was, I was basically on this, um, I went with Girl Guiding to India and we were working on um, a women's empowerment project. And before that, I had never really heard about women's empowerment. Um, and at the time we'd done a, a little bit of work around the um, sustainable development goals, which were then the millennium development goals. And we looked at like women's health and women's inequality and, um, I was like, oh, gosh, like, why are women treated like second-class citizens? And at that point, we were looking in India, and I was like, this is awful. Um, and I remember being really annoyed by it, and I came home, and I kind of looked around the UK, and I was like, we're no different in the UK. And I, I think we often, you know, hold ourselves to a higher standard, but, you know, there's so many instances where women are have so much inequality and... Um, Get discriminated against because of their their gender. Um. So since then, I was an advocate for women. Um, I've been involved, um. Kind of in lots of women's empowerment projects. Um. I was very heavily involved in girl guiding nationally and internationally. Um. And then I went to med school with the intention of doing obstetrics. Um. To kind of an extension of women's empowerment is women's health and um, empowering women through their healthcare. Um. And I love that I can use what I know as a doctor to be able to empower women. Um, and I just think that women are amazing. And uh, I love the fact that I kind of know information that I can help people with. And, you know, I'll talk a little bit more about the podcast, but um, I... I set up a podcast called Virago of Voices. Um during COVID, um, I've always wanted to do a podcast in such a chatterbox, um, as you probably gather. Um and during COVID, I was like, oh, I just really want something to get my mind off. I was working in the hospital and just wanted to get my mind off it. Um so I set up Virago Voices, which was all about empowering women through hearing stories about other women. So I interviewed women, basically spotlighted them um and showed the world the amazing work that these women were doing and they were just like just my friends at the start um but actually i made i made an instagram account for a variety of voices and i started just sharing stuff about women's health on it because it's something that interests me and i shared this um post about getting abnormal bleeding checked and for me that's something that i you know would think is quite not not obvious but as a healthcare professional, you know that abnormal bleeding, like bleeding mm. between your periods I'm talking about, isn't isn't normal. Um, and I put this on my Instagram and, and a girl that followed me messaged me a couple of weeks later and she was like, I saw that post that you shared and I went to my GP and got my bleeding checked and I've been diagnosed with PCOS, and mm. um, polycystic ovaries, and it's like changed my life. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like that's the kind of power that like simple interventions can have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I think women's health is amazing. We don't talk about women's health issues enough. We need to break down stigmas. We need to educate women more. And we need to empower them through um, evidence-based um, education and knowledge.
0: Well, yeah, does that well, answer the question? It does. It does. No, it, I mean, an incredible story. You know, it's amazing the sort of what you're doing. You mentioned there that you sort of you went to India, then you came back to the UK and and, you know, you weren't happy with, well, basically you know how we're treating women and, and women empowerment and health where are we going wrong
1: oh good question um so I think when I was when I went to India I was what 16 oh yeah I was 16 um so and I was really into how into science and I loved like all the stem kind of subjects um and i remember looking and i really wanted to be a rocket scientist (laughs) and um i remember kind of looking at, at other people in that field and not seeing any women and i was like no one looks like me and and actually i i think definitely in the time that i grew up and when i was going through school you know i was the only girl in my science class a lot of the time and um we aren't really we weren't really encouraging women to get into science and I find that there was like a very distinct stereotype of what a girl who's interested in science should look like. And, and I was like, I don't, I don't like that. And, you know, and I just find that it wasn't a particularly hospitable place to be. Um, in terms of women's health, where are we going wrong? Um, I mean, there's a lot. Um, I think we don't talk about women's health enough. Um, we stigmatize a lot of topics still. I mean, literally the other day I found myself like i got a pad out of my bag to use cause I was on my period and I was like hiding it before I went mm-hmm. to the loo. And I was like, why am I, why am I hiding this? It's like a normal thing. Um, but there's still so many topics that's so might like ingrained in us already that we should be ashamed of. We should be ashamed that we bleed every month or, you know, we shouldn't talk about heavy bleeding. Um, I remember I was in Ghana a few years back and, um, I was sharing a room with a couple of girls and I came on my period and um I said to them oh my gosh I'm on my period and like we didn't have a a functioning shower um and I was like how am I gonna wash properly and and the girl was like well why did you um why did you not get something to stop your periods like why are you having why are you bleeding and I'm like but that shouldn't be that shouldn't be our answer we shouldn't just be stopping women from bleeding I mean if you want to stop If you don't want to have a period, that's fine, but you know, it shouldn't be the default because it's easier. Um, so I just think there's we just need to think about women more. And even in our language, you know, the other day, my even my partner was like to me, Oh, you know, I I need to stop being a girl because he hurt himself. And I was like, What does that imply to me? Because I'm a girl and you've just said, I need to stop being a girl. Is that implying that I'm weak because you've expressed an emotion that seems like a quote-unquote girl thing so there's a lot there's a lot of like I guess what they're called microaggressions now and a lot of people tell me that you know we don't need feminism anymore we've got equality and and I wholeheartedly disagree with that
0: yeah and you talk about yeah the microaggressions there and the little sort of sayings that I'll stop acting like a girl so do you have any advice for sort of parents if they're you know bringing up um you know like a girl and. And they were trying to watch what they say, or, or about education. Have you got any advice for them?
1: Yeah, I guess. Well, I'm not. A, I'm not a mother, um, and I understand how difficult mm-hmm. it is to be a parent. Um, but I guess it's just being really mindful of that language. Um, I even f- I find myself saying things. You know, for example, today I was in some teaching, and they put up um, a slide about a, a nurse. And they didn't give the gender. And in my head I was like, oh, it's a woman. And then it actually turned out to be a man. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I sit on my soapbox about gender and feminism. And I, I even have these things ingrained in me. Um, so I think it's just kind of being aware of that and also not correct and just correcting it if you do slip into it because it's so easy to make mistakes and it's and it's easy to perpetuate these stereotypes when they're so ingrained in us um and i think that of that that piece of like you know if you accidentally are like oh don't be a girl and then and then being like no sorry i didn't mean that and let's re-examine that because this is really important um is is important but i think i don't want to place like this unnecessary pressure on parents because they already have it (laughs) pretty tough but I guess, yeah, just letting girls and boys do what they want and not kind of assigning gender roles is really important as well.
0: Mm, no, definitely. And like, I feel like breaking that sort of like implicit bias, isn't it? And, and once you recognise it is, you know, say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something or think differently now. You talked about your podcast, Farago Voices. You started that in COVID-19. Is it sort of about like teaching it and sort of celebrating, yeah, women and also teaching about women's health as well?
1: Yeah, so my last season was called Self-Care as Healthcare, um, And I got, I made sure I got women from, so we were basically talking about self-checking. Um, so I had a woman um, talk about um, getting your cervical smear um, and she's from, she's set up this organisation that's all about being smear ready. Mm. Um, so she promotes people getting their smears and not needing to like, she ever do all the other things yeah. that people feel that they need to do before their smears um i've spoke to um the find over chart of a, a charity in australia um about uh ovarian cancer um and her kind of story so what i was trying to do with that season was educate and give kind of informed give informed consent to women to to do these checks um while also kind of spotlighting um inspirational women in that field um so the next season i'm planning is to be more about the women themselves um i like doing the little incidental kind of healthcare teaching but actually mm-hmm. the point of the podcast is all about spotlighting inspirational women um so i think that's what we'll move back to that kind of um initial model that i that i started
0: the podcast on talking about sort of like other inspirational women and teaching about um like women's healthcare. i sort of recently read the female factor by dr hazel wallace the food medic and she talks about how evidence-based medicine for for women is just almost like non-existent and all these studies that we use are done on on men and, and actually a lot of them are done on white men as well Yeah. what sort of challenges then does that pose for for the future
1: yeah it's really it's really shocking when you when you've kind of read these statistics and you realize that we don't know that much about women and women's health care um i haven't read the female factor yet um um it's on my list um but i've just finished reading um sex matters which is all about um Gender-based healthcare. Um, and she talks about um, it's Prof. Dr. Alison um, McGregor, um, and she's an American emergency physician, and she speaks about how women's health conditions will present differently. And um, so one of the things that she talks about a lot is um heart attacks and the kind of classical symptoms that we knew as a heart attack. So if I said to you know, a medical student in the ward, what does a heart attack look like? They'll say central Christian mm-hmm. Um And that's that's a, that's a perfect answer, but that's how a heart attack presents in a man. And actually she's found that women present with um, different symptoms. So women will present with anxiety type symptoms and they characteristically won't get that central ch- christian right. chest pain and actually further to that they won't actually get the same kind of changes um in their ecgs wow. in their blood tests and um, that the men will get so a lot of women's heart attacks are caused by microvascular disease so you actually need an mri for that rather than wow. the kind of um, normal scans that we would do um so even just that is blew my mind because i was like i don't know how many times and that's been drilled into me in medical school and that kind of awareness that um women's health care conditions just even general medical conditions present differently is is something that i feel like all medical students should know before they graduate
0: yeah absolutely i, I can't believe that this information that you're sharing on your podcast that you know we're sort of reading in in books where do you think we should be learning that obviously medical school is one but in in terms of things like um like things like smears and you know in checking your breast as well where where should that information do you think um be coming from
1: um so different sources so I guess in, in terms of and for women learning about their smears um and checking their breast, i think that should be in primary schools i think and that shouldn't be a gendered thing either that should be teaching for both men and women Um, i get so many guys being like oh i don't know anything about smears i couldn't possibly do the speculum and it's like well no you you should know about smears <laughs> yeah. that's like not a thing um and then i guess in terms of the medical stuff like it needs to be in in national guidance um 'Cause you know, even what I've learned from the book, it's like I can't put that into practice because medical legally, if you, you know, don't do a certain investigation and you know they sure. then someone looks at your your notes and is like, Oh, why did you not do this protocol? And he's the protocols need updated and and I guess the research needs to be there, but there isn't there doesn't look like there's a massive push to research women's specific health conditions because funding lack of kind of women at the top that are pushing it um just the usual reasons really um i'm trying not to throw too much shade (laughs) really i
0: find that so sad and also disappointing because you'd think in 2023 it just wouldn't be a thing anymore but still you're finding that there's there's barriers to getting this research on sort of women's health
1: yeah i think so i think it's getting better but it's slow and we need we need Pro- and I say this probably women because women care about women's health and I know men do too but mostly women are going to care about their own health care um pushing this forward and being at the forefront of this um and I guess research for med stuff only really gets done when there's kind of drug companies pushing it mm. forward so it needs to be like an economically viable thing to do as well which is really sad doesn't really appeal to my justice side but mm. um there needs to be kind of like a A societal push for more research and um yeah more kind of funding towards women's health and it's happening but it's slow
0: sure and and what can men do to sort of help the cause because you're right probably is predominantly you know women that are pushing this but is there anything that that we can do um, and sort of help this 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 cause
1: Definitely. I mean, reading the female factor is a great example of what men can do. Just education. Um, if you feel that you haven't got adequate um education on, on women's health from your kind of classical university lectures or or school, go and read widely. There's lots out there. There's more books jumping up on the market every time I look in Waterstones on women's health yeah. and kind of women empowerment in general. Um, and it's just about reading those and educating yourself. Um because I'm such a bookworm I'm like read 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 but there's also podcasts there's my tv documentaries um I think it's all about education and just finding those gaps in your knowledge and filling them.
0: Sure um and you've also worked in the field of um, female genital mutilation uh, establishing the FGM educational uh, program can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, of course. Um this was another one of my um passion projects. So um I took a year out of medical school um after my fourth year to do an integrated degree. Um I did a masters in global health. And um I during that year um I ended up going to a conference on FGM and I just had finished fourth year, so I was basically a fully fledged doctor um I just had to do an OSCE in my fifth year um so I had on all the teaching that I would get on in medical school and um I went to this conference on FGM and I was like I actually don't know that much about female genital mutilation like I don't think I'd be able to recognize it in clinical practice and and like that was quite a lot of like vulnerability and honesty for me And, Mm -hmm. and and I was like maybe I missed the lecture so I remember speaking to my supervisor, my master's supervisor, and and we were just having coffee and I was like, I'm really interested to see if any if anyone else agrees. So we kind of, you know, talked and talked and we decided that we would do a survey of all the medical students in the UK and see how much they knew about female genital mutilation and if they felt comfortable recognising it. Um, and the results of the survey were staggering. 97% of UK medical students said they wanted more teaching on FGM. Wow. Um so we were like, gosh, we need to do something with this. Um, so we ended up making an online course on the FutureLearn platform. Um, and it kind of, we went through focus groups and stuff with it. And I became um, just from healthcare professionals to frontline health, uh, frontline professionals. So we made a course on the law and um, basically what is FGM and what are your mandatory reporting duties on FGM for Healthcare workers, but also social workers, teachers, lawyers, um, police officers, cool. um, and the course was a four-week course that went live last year, um, and it was launched between uh, International Day of Zero Tolerance to FGM and International Women's Day, and we had uh, nearly five hundred people enroll in the course and take the course, which was amazing. Um. And we just so much momentum from the course that we were like, we need we need to do more. Um so we set up the FGM education project. Um we've got quite a thriving group of volunteers that work for who work for the project. Um we get mass we supervise master's students to from the University of Aberdeen to help us with the project and do some research with the project. Um, and we're hoping to kind of roll out um the course again this year it should be launching on the 6th of march um and yeah we're hoping to get even more um, enrollments this year and just kind of keep the movement going
0: wow that's that's amazing and it all came from from going to that conference and you yeah know, that's that's amazing but do you although that's that's great do you think though that really that should be coming from the medical schools have you talked to medical schools about that
1: yeah so a few medical so what we learned from the research was that a few medical schools were quite good at it um but most people were getting their education on fgm through either passion so they've heard about it and they've read up on it or from charity talks like in their free time so after lectures or from student select components so again they have to positively select they want to learn about fgm um so yeah and I guess in in medical schools a lot of the time the answers that we were getting were there's not enough time in the curriculum or it does get mentioned um but briefly we can't cover everything um which is fair but also you know we've got a resource that doesn't take that long and you know if we have a mandatory reporting duty for FGM um and that's really important. Uh, we have there's a law that binds us that if we see or suspect FGM, we have to report it. And actually, not in not doing so um, can come with legal repercussions. So, in my opinion, it's a very important um, topic that we need to teach frontline professionals on.
0: A lot of our listeners will be medical students. Um, a lot of them will be, you know, and of course, going on to become junior doctors in terms of fgm then what sort of advice would you have would it be to enroll in this course and to get you know education about it because as you say there's sort of legal implications as well
1: yeah so definitely i mean if you as i said before if you notice gaps in your knowledge then fill them and um you know i i would obviously promote the course um so yeah you can do the course on future learn it's completely free um it's a four-week course um Or you can go up and and read about it. Um, You need to be able to kind of identify it, know what it is, um, know what it looks like, because there's four different types and they can all look very different. Um, And then know exactly what you have to do. So your mandatory reporting duty, what you would do in, in your hospital if you Suspected it or saw it, um, and how you would um, interact with both the, the patient and the parents if they're if the parents are involved, and then kind of safeguarding as well. Um, so yeah, if if you're a medical student and you're listening and you aren't aware of um, FGM, um, definitely go and have a look at it. And um, you can check out the FGM education project on um, Twitter or Instagram. And feel free to reach out to us if you want more information.
0: Fantastic and right now I can sort of see in, in the background there your your army uniform um, and <laughs> you're working as an army doctor at, at the moment, How, how's that?
1: Yeah it's amazing, um, so I have quite a bit of a different career path to most other people Um I did, um, I've graduated, I did foundation year one and two and then I left the kind of traditional programme and joined the army. Um, So I've been working as an army doctor for the last two years. Um, Next year I'll go back into hopefully NHS training um, and you know do our specialty training and things. Um, It's been really good. Um, The Army gives you a completely different um outlook on life. Um, It gives you a completely different medical experience to what you would get in the NHS. And um, I know a lot of my kind of NHS counterparts are quite jealous that I get to you know, travel abroad and things like that. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, a, it's definitely a different life. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and what was the motivation behind sort of joining the army? Because especially as you said, you wanted to go into Ops and Gaini, you know, I'd, how did that come about?
1: Yeah. So when I was in medical school, I joined the reserves. Um, it was actually in my second year of uni and I was like, a bit bored of like the medical just like talking to med, like medical people about medicine um so I joined the reserves as a way of kind of just meeting new friends um and then I realized I really enjoyed it um I like the opportunity for travel I like the kind of gaining new skills and leadership um and it was just an area that I felt I, I thrived in um we get to do a lot of like adventure training um i was skiing a couple weeks ago with the army mm. and they always push you outside your comfort zone which i love um and it's also just good experience um the medical experience and um, the t- kind of trauma experience mm. that, and the training that you get is really important um my kind of goals in life are a bit very global health orientated so um i'd like to work for an NGO in the future within Ops and gynae um so i think the kind of transferable skills that the army are will are giving me um are really beneficial for that future career
0: definitely and it's a career sort of we'll be we'll be watching and seeing because you also are are the rising star of 2022 i saw you won that award so firstly congratulations so thank you how did that feel and also you know what can we expect to you know see from you this year next year sort of 10 years from now
1: Uh, Well, yeah, thank you for for that. Um, Yeah, it was amazing to receive that award. Um, I remember, I actually got the news that i had won the award on the same day that i found out that i passed my diploma in Obsingani. um so (laughs) that was a a good day um but yeah it was just amazing the opportunities as well that it's, it's presented me with so um even at the ceremony i got to meet lots of amazing other women who had been nominated and won other awards and were incredible um and, yeah, for the future, I guess, um, I want to get on into OBS and training. Um, I want to kind of do an academic programme, so hopefully like an ACF-type mm. role. Um, I want to keep working on the FGM Education Project, um, and keep on the podcast and see where that goes. Um, I really enjoy doing it. Um, I don't really have a lot of expectations on it, but yeah. I, I really like it. Mm. Um, and I guess in 10 years, I'd like to be working for some kind of NGO um in Obsangini um and just making the world a better place to be a woman in.
0: Oh that that's absolutely lovely. And and if you have a uh, like a message or something that you really believe in or want to say, you know, whether it's um about like global health or in fact to like the sort of the women that are listening at the moment. So what what would that be?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um well, I guess so my favorite phrase is you're enough. Um and I think that women and me personally I struggle with that a lot. So um if you're a woman listening or well and a man too mm-hmm. but particularly women cuz I think that we don't often kind of put ourselves forward for things and um and talk about ourselves enough. Um yeah, you are enough and um anything that you want to do Go for it. The worst someone can say is no. Um, and I've, that's definitely a lesson I've learned recently is that you kind of just have to put yourself in that position. And um something my mum always tells me is that you you know it's better to be in the ring and you know falling down rather than be in the audience and never have tried. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a dream, just go for it. Um and you know, if you need some motivation for that, think about how much of a role model you'll be for future generations Um, because really the most important people are the next generation and that's people coming behind us so if we can make the world a better place for them then they've done a great job Um, so yeah my um, kind of message would be you're enough and to always just follow your dreams.
0: Well, that's a fantastic sort of note to end it on. And and you certainly are an inspiration and making the world a better place. So thank you very much for talking about what you've done because it's absolutely incredible.
1: No problem. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Surgical Society Podcast. As we talked about in today's episode... Dr. Kincaid has her own podcast for Argo Voices, and I would massively recommend giving that a listen, and I put that in the link below of this podcast. In two weeks' time, join me as I speak to Cardiff alumni Dr. Dean Burnett, who is a world-famous author, most notably The Idiot Brain, and most recently, Emotional Ignorance. And We take a deep dive into neuroscience.